If you will open up your Bible apps or your Bibles, if you brought them, and join me. We're reading from the first chapter, verses 4 through 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and he ate wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Let us hear where the spirit leads on this day. This is our third and final week in this series, Divine Details, and I have to confess, I'm going to kind of miss it. I love looking at these details from the scriptures, and I just wanted to remind you where we'd been. The first week, we looked at the incarnation story of John, where there is no manger or baby or shepherds or angels, and we talked about how John presents Jesus as the Word made flesh. And how John lifts our eyes from that manger story to the heavens and ties it to creation and that Jesus was there when everything began. And then last week I talked about the wise men and how they took the risk to follow a star, having no idea where they were going and this wonder and curiosity as they welcomed a new king into their midst. And so today, we are looking at the Gospel of Mark. And guess what? There's no birth story in the Gospel of Mark at all. And so it's interesting to me, where does this start? Well, it starts in baptism. In this beautiful story where the heavens are torn open and the dove comes down and these words that mean so much to us, you are my beloved. And so the Gospel of Mark, I wanted to touch on it for just a few minutes and remind us that it is the shortest gospel. And one of the reasons I think it is is because it is missing all of that birth narrative, that it starts literally with this cosmic event where Jesus comes to be baptized. It was 90% of the Gospel of Mark is word for word in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And it was often read in the early church gatherings where people didn't sit, but they stood, and they would read the entire Gospel from beginning to end every time they gathered. I was lucky enough in seminary to be part of a class where we did that, and it took a little bit over 50 minutes long. And I don't know if you guys would tolerate that. If I walked in every week and I read the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end, you might think it was a little redundant. But at the same time, what a beautifully powerful story that begins where Jesus comes before John. 
I want to remind you that the Gospel of Mark has sort of a journey motif to it. It starts with the baptism and it ends at crucifixion. And Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. And if you've ever noticed the language, it says the word immediately, immediately, then immediately, right over. And I once counted how many times it said immediately, uh, but I can't remember what it was. Um, but, and the other thing that's so fascinating about this journey motif for Jesus is in the beginning when the baptism happens and the early part of Jesus's ministry, he is able to heal people in other villages with just a few words from his mouth right? His power filled with the Holy Spirit to perform these miracles is incredible. But as he gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, we have this fascinating story about a blind man who um, wants to be healed. And the kids in the youth group always thought this story was really gross because he, Jesus spits on his hands and then he lays them on the eyes of the man. But what's so interesting theologically when we look at this overall picture of the book of Mark is that the man is partially healed and he says that it's still blurry. And so Jesus does it a second time. Now, Mark does this fascinating thing where in the beginning, when it is all new and the Holy Spirit descends and people believe these miracles can happen from afar, but the closer that Jesus gets to Jerusalem and unbelief He's surrounded by unbelief that we get this glimpse into the story where he has to literally touch someone twice before they are healed. And so this gospel of Mark in itself is so beautiful and unusual because of all of these things that make it that way. The story that we're reading today on the baptism of Jesus is one of my favorites. And often I have taught it in... Um, confirmation for the students, but I wanted to draw you to the final verses uh, that I read from 10 and 11 that says, and just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descended. I found this quote, theologian Ted Smith writes, the spirit and a voice descend through this tear in time in this moment of Jesus' baptism, heaven and earth are transparent to one another. I love that. Now, if I had found that quote in December, I probably would have called this whole series transparent, right? Because we have these little places where heaven and earth are connected, this cosmic, holy inbreaking of things that happened. And so I want to look at the rest of the Gospel, Mark, and where do we see this besides this first chapter where the heavens are torn open at the baptism? We see it again in chapter 9, where he is on the mountain. Jesus goes to the mountaintop, and we call that the transfiguration, where it blurs the lines between heaven and earth. And I love the difference in the quote from God. Did you notice that at Jesus' baptism, he says, you are my son? That this is an intimate conversation between God and God's son. It isn't one that everyone hears, right? But we get to the transfiguration in chapter 9, and you have the glowing, and the, and the disciples are there to witness it, and the voice is different. The voice says, this is my son. But I love the next line, listen to him. 
right? <laughs> Sounds like every frustrated parent ever. This is my son, listen to him. At the end of the gospel, we also get this imagery in the crucifixion, but it's a little bit different. Instead of the heavens being torn open, we get the temple cloth that's being torn apart. And as I read up on what exactly does that mean that the temple cloth is torn apart, um, it, and most of the theologians that I read said that it had to do with this understanding that this barrier of the temple between God and God's people was broken open by Jesus and Jesus' crucifixion. So Mark bookends the gospel with this heavens being torn open and the Holy Spirit descending, and then at the end, the temple is torn, the temple cloth is torn open. And so these are beautiful bookends around the story. And Another thing that happens in that last story at the crucifixion is someone else says, this is the son of God. Do you know who it is? It's a centurion, a Gentile, right? So we get, this is the son of God, which is from God. You are my son. We get, this is my son with other people overhearing it in this other kind of transparent place on the mountain. And in the last transparent place where the, the tearing open happens, it's one of the soldiers who recognizes, truly, this is the son of God, isn't that amazing and beautiful? A Gentile. Now, it's so fascinating to me because in the book of Matthew, he's the only uh, gospel author who decides that the tearing open of the temple needs a little more oomph. And so in the gospel of Matthew, it says there's an earthquake right? And everything is rumbled in the earthquake and the tombs are thrown open and the boulders are moved, right? And so it's really fascinating to me that Luke and uh, Mark stick with the, the, the church's tearing, right? But Matthew is like, no, this is a really big deal, this cosmic event. How could you forget about an earthquake, right? <laughs> and so we get these beautiful stories where the heavens touch the earth, where things are transparent, where God is very clear, this is my son. So you could tell I could talk about this a lot because that's all background information, right? Let's get to the baptism story, Pastor Heather. And so I wanted to ask you, what is John baptizing people into? Think about that right? We think of baptism as this sort of initiation and welcome and relationship into the family of God as people who profess a belief as Jesus as Messiah. But wait a minute, there aren't any Christians yet. There is no church. This is the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. So what is John baptizing people into? I think we skim it so often we don't notice it. Or we've heard it so many times that we don't hear it. But he's very clear that John is baptizing people into repentance and the cleansing of the sin in their lives. Now, <laughs> that is part of what we also say happens at baptism as well. But Jesus' baptism, we argue theologically that Jesus had no sin. So why was he there? 
right? And we get this beautiful image where John says, I am not worthy to do this. You should be baptizing me. I, I'm not worthy to even tie your shoes. And Jesus comes anyway, and John baptizes him. But instead of being about repentance of sin, it's about the dissension of the Holy Spirit, right? In my mind, it think, I think it should be more like a lightning bolt. Bam, right? The Holy Spirit in Jesus right now, he's launched into his ministry. But instead, it's a dove. It's flute. Maybe a dove could be more <laughs> action hero. But we get this beautiful image of the Holy Spirit that descends upon Jesus and the language where God says, you are my beloved. It's beautiful. And so we get this departure from what the people had always thought that the baptism was about. In the Jewish culture, the Jewish people who are being baptized, we know from the Old Testament scriptures that cleansiness, cleanliness is significant, and it's part of who they are, right? And so I wanted to jump into the book of Acts for just a minute because there's this fascinating text in there about Paul. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? Isn't that an interesting question? If someone asked you, when you became a believer, did you receive the Holy Spirit? What would you say? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, to, into what then were you baptized? Right? These differences. And they say, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there was about 12 of them. So John's baptism of repentance is a personal turning away from sinful behavior, where the person being baptized is the acting agent. They come they offer themselves to God, and they receive forgiveness, right? But in Jesus' baptism, God is the acting agent. God's the one who makes things happen with the claiming and the naming and the, and the infusing with the Holy Spirit. As Methodists, we recognize both of these understandings of baptism, and we blend them together. And so it is sometimes confusing about what exactly do we believe about baptism because there are people that clearly believe two different things. Now, in the Pentecostal tradition, you actually receive two baptisms. You receive the renunciation of sin and the washing away of your sin, and then you also have another baptism where you receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. But we believe that the language we use in the Methodist church is that the water is the outward and visible sign of something that happens inward, right? That the holy can happen. Um, people argue, I know families that have had their babies baptized immediately because theologically they believe without that sort of membership into the family that their child couldn't go on to be with God if they died. 
And then I know other people who absolutely do not think that child, that infant or child baptism is a good thing because they need to know what they're asking forgiveness for. This understanding of the cleansing, right? Um, it's, it's interesting because there are, the church has been arguing forever about the proper understanding of baptism and the right way and the wrong way to do it. But as Methodists, we say all of those things can happen. All of those things um, are part of what happens at baptism. And so I want us, before we leave this place or turn off the viewership that you have, I want you to talk about what does this mean as baptized believers. There's three things I want you to take with you. The first is, yes, forgiveness is offered to us. Yes, God always claims us when we repent and, and turn away from things that are considered sinful. And the second one is the Holy Spirit empowers us as well and gifts us for ministry. And we're invited to take what the Holy Spirit has given for us and use it every day in our lives. And the last one is probably the most important one. It doesn't water, matter how much water you use or don't use. It's about God claiming you. You are my beloved, right? God claims us and God loves us. So we are called to live out our baptismal covenant each and every day using this Holy Spirit that we are given to empower us and strengthen us and assure us that we can do it. Because most of the time, it's hard. Really, really hard. And we are called to use these gifts that we have been given to love God and love our neighbor. And so today, I want to invite you to remember your baptism. If you don't remember it, what stories were you told about it? I sent Kurt a picture of me as a baby. There it is in all its glory. <laughs> my mouth is open, and that still happens quite a lot. <laughs> my, uh, my tech guy at Living Water said, I have that wonder and awe look on my face. I've got my pretty little white frilly dress from my baptism on. And the story that was told to me about my baptism, I know I was less than a year old because we lived in New York where my dad was from and my mom had to fly from New York to Oklahoma because she wanted me baptized in the church where she had been baptized and her parents had been baptized. This long tradition at the First Methodist Church in Old Mulkey. And you know what, my dad couldn't even get off work, he wasn't even there, right? <laughs> and, that, and so I was baptized in Old Mulkey, surrounded by relatives and a bunch of people I didn't know. And you know that in the covenant for a child or an infant, we say as a church that we will raise this child, that we will participate in their baptism, right? And so it was so strange to me that my mom did that. But then when I was six years old, we actually moved to Mulkey, and that's where I was raised. But to get back to my baptism story. So this is what always happens when I was told this story that we flew from New York. My grandmother met us at the, at the airport. It happened on that Sunday. 
And there was a woman in the congregation who was a friend of the family, and her kids had started elementary school. She came up and wanted to hold me and said what a beautiful baby I was and said she wanted a baby. And nine months later, her daughter Margaret was born, right? And so every time I heard my baptism story, it was paired with the story of Margaret <laughs> being created, right? And it's just funny how that happens as we tell the story. So I want you to stop, and I want you to think about your baptism, and if you don't remember, I want you to share those stories at lunch today or when you're together um, with the people that can tell you that story. Get out your photo albums and look at it. Um, we are inviting you, Pastor Mark and I are inviting you to participate in the renewal of your baptismal covenant today. And I don't know if you, this pitcher of water, when I filled it today and I put it on this table, none of the lights were on and the stained glass was refracted through here and I took a picture. And actually, I, if you, after church, if you're here and you want to see it, you can still see the image of the stained glass water, stained glass in the water here. Which, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing that as the baptized followers of Christ, that, that we are called as a people, this is such a beautiful symbol of that, to go into the world and change it through our actions and our love and our words. And so today we are going to proclaim the creed that binds us together. We will remember that being baptized followers of Christ means something significant for us. And we will rejoice in a relationship that transcends the holy and the heaven and the earth, um, that that barrier is broken open for us.